Friday lunchtime lectures at the Open Data Institute. My name's Esme Harwood, I work for Barclays Bank um, and I work in the current accounts and insurance team. Uh, I've got an interest in the open banking working group mainly on the um, user reference side, so thinking about some of the sort of potential use cases um, and Barclays is just sort of very interested in the, the outputs from the group. Hello, I'm Rhiannon Butterfield, I work for Payments UK which is the trade body for the payments sector in the United Kingdom. Um, when HMT originally came out with these proposals and published their consultation, um, Payments UK alongside the British Bankers Association, the BBA, and Innovate Finance, another trade body, um, worked with HMT about putting forward a proposal for creating an open bank working group. So essentially we thought it was absolutely vital to get together and a group to take these proposals forward. So we worked throughout the early part of the year um, to get the OBWG running um, I'm pleased to say we got a very good group of people involved um, and I now support the, the working group directly so I'm directly supporting the standard subgroup and the security subgroup um, but I'm also on the core editorial team now trying to finalize report. Good afternoon everyone my name is Gavin Starks I'm the chief executive of the Open Data Institute and I'm also the co-chair of the Open Banking Working Group I've had about 20 years experience in setting up web-based businesses. Um, so ra ranging from uh, what is now Virgin Media uh, through to a whole range of different startups over the last 15 years or so. Cool, thank you. So we just wanted to just <coughs> start off by you know, asking each of the panelists, you know, based on the work they've done so far in the working group and their knowledge of the industry and data, you know, just for a few thoughts on how do we improve banking services? Um, 25 years ago, the, uh, we didn't really have an internet. We had uh, services like America Online and CompuServe, which were closed walled gardens where people, uh, people had access to various provider information and, and so on. The internet came along and wiped out those companies. And what made the internet possible was open protocols, open <coughs> standards. I think that if you, if you look at the banking industry here in the UK today, it's a series of walled gardens with some very, very tightly defined interactions between them or, or you know, the things like the payment system, chaps, uh, and so on. I think if we, um, if we are successful in uh, figuring out how to create an open API standard that anybody can use, that anybody can write to, then I think it's going to go a long way towards unleashing um, a lot of potential. I know that the Treasury's uh, uh, intent is uh, fostering innovation and competition. And I think that openness and transparency is, uh, is a key part of that. Cool. So um, earlier this week, uh, we held a hackathon at Barclays. And um, we, we basically opened up some stub APIs, so mock-up transactional data and um, payments functionality, and let developers play with it. And I must admit that there was, you know, a bit of nervousness beforehand. It was like, you know, are, are we going to get some sort of sane ideas where it will be a little bit boring? Um, and, and actually, those fears were completely unfounded because at the end of the two days, what we ended up with were just a whole range of ideas kind of using that data and functionality in a variety of, of different ways. 
um, and some of them were much more sophisticated, others were very simple, but actually no less innovative. Um, and my favourite one was uh, it was a, a piece of hardware, a piggy bank, that basically changed colour. You know, you put money in, it goes green, you take money out, it goes red. Um, and they pitched it really as a way of uh, encouraging kids to develop a savings habit uh, from a really early age. And I think the, the range of ideas that came out of that exercise really illustrated to me at least the, the potential that greater uh, openness of data and sharing of data has. Um, certainly, you know, there's great value add for customers and a, a real um, innovative streak that, that will be beneficial. Of course, that was only sort of mock-up data, um, and I think the sort of challenges come when you're using that real data, especially where it's customer data rather than sort of aggregate data. And I think um, as a society and as industries, as we move towards this open data or open, open banking framework, there are some, some groundwork, there's some groundwork we have to do to make sure that we do it in the right way. Kind of front of mind for me is, um, firstly, you know, do customers know what they're doing? You know, certainly at a high level, they have to know the ins and outs, but enough to make a sort of informed decision about the route that they want to take. Um, secondly, in order to achieve sort of long-term success, I think they have to be very confident that the services and products that, that um, are using their data that they're treating their data in the appropriate way. Um, and I think people have got very used to kind of banks looking after their data, and it'll be interesting to see other, other institutions doing that too. Um, and finally, that they've got someone to turn to if they have a question, or um, if in the unlikely event, uh, hopefully, that things do go wrong. So I think working out some of those detailed pieces up front is going to be critical to the long-term success of uh, open banking. Um. So, I mean, Payments UK has, has massive interest in the kind of issue of how you can take data and make the, the banking and the payment system more effective. And certainly, you know, our work in the OBWG is about trying to ensure that a lot of the things that we've seen currently in the industry as challenges can, can be partly addressed. And I think it looks really positive in terms of some of those challenges and how we can address them. And from the payment side specifically, um, you know, we've, we've looked at a number of areas where we think data or more data or more efficient use of data can be really helpful. And we published back in August um, a report on world-class payment systems and how we can continue to ensure that the UK is at the front edge of payment systems in the world, which it currently is. Um, and two of the examples that I can pull out from there where we really focused on some kind of some consumer, some SME-led use cases that really would benefit from some better use of data. The first one is, is actually a fairly simple one and it's, it's what we call confirmation of payee or knowing who you pay before you pay them. And it sounds relatively straightforward but it's about basically when you go into your, your online banking and you type in the sort code and account number of someone you want to pay. There's not currently an easy, ubiquitous functionality that allows you to confirm that, yep, that is, you know, Joe Blogs that I want to pay. Um, and I think that all the data that currently exists in the system could easily be purposed to make that a relatively straightforward um, kind of question to answer. You know, if I type in the sort code and I think it's Joe Blogs and it comes back to me and it says, you're about to pay Sarah Parker, then I can probably think I should go back and check the, the sort code and account number. Um, so all that data exists, but it's about trying to kind of make sure that we have easy ways of accessing it and making sure that the customer is kind of, you know, put in the best position um, for using that information and when, when they're about to initiate payments. Um, the other one, which is, is unfortunately more complex, but I think, you know, will lead to potentially innumerable benefits, is around being able to um, attach more data to payments or at least them more closely together um, and we see this particularly as a use case for the corporate side so if we look at things like reconciliation so enabling people to really know to what payments refer um, and the other one is actually for government you know there seems to be some big use cases for government in terms of understanding who they're paying and who they're getting payments from um, we'd be surprised I think how little actually it's it's a we're able currently to to know about those payments where we're limited with for example the number of characters of reference um, so those are just two quite straightforward examples that we kind of touched on in our world-class payments report, and it's something that we're going to be following up more in 2016. Um, but from our perspective, there's clearly a huge number of benefits, but I fully agree with Esme's point that, you know, that there's groundwork that needs to be done there before, um, before we can get there. But hopefully, through the work of the OBWG and other work strands, we will be approaching a kind of better state come next year. Uh, and, and maybe to build on and also frame some of those comments be very clear about what the Open Banking Working Group is working on. Uh, so we talk about open and an open API 
I thought it'd be useful to describe what those things are. Uh, so firstly, an open API is an open standard. And that's very different from saying open data. So actually, broadly, there are two things that we're designing at the moment. One is an open API that will allow the sharing of open data. So data is uh, information that can be uh, discovered, used, and shared by anyone for any purpose. So for example, where are the ATMs in the country? Is a good example of something that should be open data that isn't. Not for any particular reason that it isn't, other than that it just hasn't been done. Um, a mortgage product should also be open data. So if you want to do product comparisons or discover what products are, what products exist, uh, that is something that should be open data, something that we can all access and find out uh, and discover in our own ways. Your personal bank account data shouldn't be open data. So we'll be very clear about that. So when we talk about an open API, you can use an open standard as a way of creating a very transparent way of people integrating with the service. It does not mean that your personal bank data is suddenly going to be released to the world. So we talk about an open API standard, uh, and we talk about shared data within that. So how do we enable the easier sharing of your personal data, uh, of your transactional data, and exactly to the point now, if you want to check, is the person I'm paying the person I think I'm paying? That's a good example of sharing data, but it's, that's not necessarily going to be open data. So what we need to be really clear, we're talking about shared data and open data. It's two quite different categories that have very different rules, very different permissions, and very different authentication around them, many of which, when, especially with your own personal data, need explicit and informed opt-in. Yeah, and, and there's a whole discussion, I think, around that. So in the Open Banking Working Group, we're looking across both of these domains, and we're asking the questions and trying to address some of the principles behind how do you effectively share data? How do you create consent? How do you create informed consent around that? What are the processes? Uh, what are the policies that need to exist? What are the governance frameworks around that? And how does this interface with the existing ecosystem of actors? Whether that's the banks, the fintech community, the FSA, the Information Commissioner's Office, etc. There's a whole ecosystem of actors already there and there's existing rules. So trying to navigate through this is fascinating, but the core outcome for us is to reduce friction in that transaction, uh, in, in those transactions. So people can innovate more easily, people can access mortgage or loan information more easily, people can share their information with other third parties more easily to help us smooth those uh, interactions. Excellent, thank you. The, and I suppose just one other question just before we open up to the uh, audience to get some of the audience questions. The timescales for the Open Banking Working Group, the timescales and the deliverables, obviously, you know, when I talk about this on Twitter, some people come back to me and say, my data was, was doing that, and what's happened to my data? Is this going to be like that? I wonder if, if you just, you know, again, just a couple of thoughts about timescales, the deliverables, and what's different from those previous initiatives? Um, I've got to be honest, I'm not massively familiar with, with my data. I mean, the, the timescales that we're working to in terms of the work that we're doing right now is uh, producing a report with some recommendations that, that we will deliver to uh, HM Treasury, and that'll be published uh, at, at the end of this year. So it's very, very tight timescales, and um, you know, there's a lot of working uh, over you know, at evenings and uh, over weekends going on. Um, part of that report will include suggestions or ideas about how the, the broader, longer timescales can, uh, will, what, what those timescales will be. And there's a range of opinions about that. You know, one, of the, one of the ideas that's, that's been floated within the group is that we adopt a kind of a, an iterative approach. Where we might possibly start off with something that's really, really limited in scope and quite narrow, like something like the ability just to get your account balance, but nothing else. Um, and then build on, you know, functionality on top of that, extra extra information, and so on. But it really is, you know, uh, it, it's kind of like an elephant in some ways. You know, you, if you ask different people what it is or how long it's going to take, you'll get different answers. If it's helpful, I can offer a few thoughts on my data and um, what's different. Um, I guess the, the, for 
those who, who aren't familiar, um, MyData is a service that's offered by um, a lot of the main banks, and basically you can go onto your online banking um, and sort of click a button and <coughs> download your MyData file, which will show your transactions. And then the idea is that you can upload that to a comparison website and they can you know, give you some recommendations as to what be, might be the best account for you or what your options are. I think the sort of key differences between um, what we're doing or what the potential of uh, open APIs compared to my data is that the API functionality um, means that that sort of rather clunky download up model is removed and the, the process is a lot more seamless from a customer perspective. And I think also from the third-party developer perspective, using an API rather than the clunky upload-download model will mean that the data is sort of easier to pick up and play with than it is at the moment. And I, I would imagine that will probably move away from my data and towards that more seamless technical solution. But I guess that is sort of open for discussion. Yeah, I mean, just to add a couple more comments on the, the timelines point, I mean, absolutely right in terms of what we're working to in the UK. Um, one of the not inconsiderable challenges about th this work is that um, coming from Europe at the same time, it's going to be finalised within the next month, is a piece of legislation that basically brings into regulation some of the types of providers that will probably we will see emerge in this ecosystem over the next few years. So in particular, they're what are known as payment initiation providers and payment and account information service providers um, who could obviously leverage some type of API functionality were it to exist. Um, so there's a challenge for the UK in that obviously we're bound to implement the, the directive that's coming from Europe and we're therefore bound by some of the rules and um, uh, kind of restrictions that are, that are put in place by that European legislation. But what we've we've tried to do throughout this work is, is kind of understand very closely what the European legislation requires um, and to be considerate of that and to try and ensure that at the least the work we're going to do will enable the UK to meet its requirements in terms of that legislation but hopefully to go beyond it as well because ultimately what the API proposals are about it goes goes much wider in terms of innovation and offering benefit to customers. Um, so the timelines are, are complicated by that European element, um, as is sometimes the case. Um, but, but we are working really closely with Treasury um, to understand how we can best kind of make, make a, an environment that will work for the UK in the short term, as well as kind of help us meet our obligations in the next two to three year time frame for the European legislation. So, yeah. and, and again, just to really be clear about timeframes, mm -hmm. this really started to come to together a couple of months ago. So we've had almost no time to pull it together. And we were strongly requested to deliver the output by the end of this year. Uh, we managed to push that from before Christmas to the actual end of the year. And <laughs> so what we're also looking to build into the reports uh, is what could happen next year <coughs> in terms of implementation. Are there ways that we could engage with the sectors to take the standards to market? And like uh, has just been said, the one of the forcing functions here is European legislation, which will kick in in a few years from now. And I think actually what we're doing is building on some of the my data work, looking more broadly across everything from product information, and because it's all baked into an API framework, making that process a lot more seamless. Uh, but also looking, I think, into how can the UK get ahead here? How can we really enable? the fintech community, the banking sector, and others innovate around this information and around these uh, new technology standards. Um, actually, the, the technical bits are the easiest bit of this. It's all the, the hard bits are really around wh where does liability lie? How do we protect privacy? All of these different uh, questions are, are the much more complicated pieces. And just to kind of add to that, I think from a consumer perspective, the more closely you can align some of those kind of messages and timeframes between CSE2 and the Open Banking Working Group, even some of the stuff that the Competition and Markets Authority is looking at around uh, my data, the, the more aligned they are, the better, because, you know, some of this stuff can be complex to understand, and if you're working for three different systems rather than one system, it's, you know, it's probably easier just to go with the one. Excellent. Thank you. The, so we'd now like to turn to the audience for questions. So, if you are quite here. Hi, I'm Eddie Copeland. I'm head of technology policy for the Think Tank Policy Exchange. 
Um, one of the developments at a governmental level I've been interested in recently is the Chancellor's announcement of the death of the self-assessment tax return and the idea that we'll all have digital accounts instead where we get the real-time flow of information. I noticed they had explicit mention of APIs to businesses, cloud software, uh, accounting software, so that can have that real-time flow of information. But it sounds like there's an opportunity here from a self-assessment point of view for our personal accounts to automatically upload that data. I assume that's part of some standards work. Is what you're doing integrated with what government's doing on that stuff? I'm happy to. Um, so, so I'd say definitely the discussions are integrated. So Payments UK has a specific working group where we work with government representatives about their kind of emerging needs, um, principally around the payment system, as you you'd imagine, but it goes more widely than that as well. And we've been having ongoing discussions with HMRC, but also DWP and HMT um, about how these things are going to progress. Um, we're really interested to see, for example, the consultations they're expected to put out next year on how some of this will develop. Clearly, I think it's a positive that HMRC is looking at its own infrastructure about how it can open its own uh, kind of, you know, innards up to APIs, so to speak. And I think that's, that's positive in terms of it becoming a more efficient and digital-focused um, department. Um, certainly, we, ha we imagine that government will be a user of this future environment, it probably in a, in a multiplicity of ways, you know, not just kind of the, the tax man, the obvious money type stuff, as you'd imagine, but I think actually, you know, a, a wider range of use cases as well, uh, where the citizen is quite keen to actually have a probably a, a, a better, a more real-time, more efficient interaction with its government. I, th I think just a more general comment. I mean, the, the, the government clearly sees, you know, broader adoption of, of these sort of solutions as a key uh, strategic enabler for both the UK's economy and government as you know, making it more efficient. Um, you know, they're, they've, they've, they've been looking very closely at emerging technologies and looking at where the potential lies and, you know, and also what the, what the potential risks are as well. Um, I, you know, I think APIs and banking and, and for HMRC are, are just are just two aspects. I think we're going to we're going to start seeing a lot more of it across the whole of government and across the whole of uh, uh, you know other industries in, in the UK. Hi, I'm Daniel from Student Funder. So I'm really interested in how it's opening up options to people and creating better products. And I'm interested in the forces that are going to come into play for companies to adopt it. What kind of combination of European legislation, UK legislation, regulation, and just pure market forces around good open standards you kind of see playing, um, I guess, some unknowns in there, but it'd be interesting to have your view. I think I can frame some of that broadly. Um, <coughs> everything in the world that and be digitized is being digitized and being made available increasingly through interfaces that reduce transactional friction. So the opportunity there is for new entrants to come in in the, in the fintech, fintech communities to work out how do you match your exact spend profile and lifestyle profile against a mortgage product. So having easier visibility to those mortgage products and easier sharing of your uh, information will just make that process easier. In terms of what a lot of the fintech companies are having to do at the moment, they're having to screen scrape information or people are having to download their data and upload it to another service. So each time you introduce that sort of, or you have those pieces of friction, you're just making it slower, more expensive for people to build new services. So we'd hope to see a lot more innovation around this space um, through the use of the open APIs, both on the open data side and on the data sharing side. And I think when we look more broadly as well at you know, different industries that are starting to really come on stream in a much bigger way with uh, their web services, I think we'll, we'll see a similar type of approach. And one of the, the sort of trends that's emerging out of our conversations is to take a very networked, sort of distributed approach to how the information should flow, how it should be stored, rather than having necessarily everything centralized into one place. And I think that opens up lots of really interesting questions about actually who will own the customer and, and lots of questions cascade from that. And I, I think if your question we're, we're talking about, you know, will 
will the, the big banks effectively do do this stuff? There's an element that we're definitely going to have to do because the European legislation requires us to. Um, and although the Open Banking Working Group is a voluntary thing at the moment, I, I think it would be very surprising if the big banks weren't involved in that and you know, HM Treasury have always got the backstop of legislation if it's needed. I think probably what's more interesting is as this ecosystem develops, you know, where does it go next? And um, I think government itself uh, will, will want to expose more data. And you know, if you think about, and, and the banks will probably be calling for that. So if I think about when someone opens an account, they still have to bring in bits of paper, and or, you know, a lot of the time they still have to bring in bits of paper. Um, it would be much better if we could essentially you know, call via an API the passport service or you know, Visa, whoever it might be, and just kind of say, actually, can you just confirm this customer is who they say they are? Um, or if we can kind of ring British Gas and, and do the address verification that way. So I think a lot of processes, as, as this, this kind of rolls out, there'll be a lot more use cases that open up and a lot more calls that open data and um, data sharing through APIs more generally. Yeah, I, th I, I think the government is you know, deliberately you know, very, very conscious that, that if you open up uh, these sorts of interfaces and make it possible for new entrants and new services and products to evolve, then you know you you generate innovation. You know, nobody knows you know what people are going to come up with. It might be a you know the 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 piggy bank that changes color. You know, we we, we just don't know. And and you know it's it's one of the things that when when you're when you're in a a role or a position or a sector, quite often you you see a certain amount. Um, earlier on, we were, we, were, we were talking about the artwork that's on the walls here at the Open Data Institute. You know, the, the, the ODI um, commissions artwork from artists um, who are thinking about the future of data and how it's going to evolve. And the simple fact is we don't know. You know, there, there are lots of things that we haven't thought of yet. You know, to, to steal Rumsfeld's uh, phrase, you know, the unknown unknowns. Um, but a necessary prerequisite to getting there is to open up data and access to that data in order to enable companies and individuals to to create those products and services. Next question. Hi, Diana Paredes from Sweet. I was wondering, what are the synergies that you guys see between the work from the Open Bank Project and the Alan Turing Institute and the work that's being done uh, on the blockchain side? Uh, so I think you know, broadly, blockchains have utility for certain types of application. Um, so in helping to create distributed ledgers where you uh, want to have a, a really strong provenance trail of transactions. Um, but there are also lots of areas where it's not applicable. So uh, I think our, our broad uh, visibility here, or not just the Alan Turing Institute, but generally, is there's a lot of noise around blockchains right now. And we've written a few pieces actually uh, on our site about some of the areas where they're not applicable, actually, or we should be a, a, treating with extreme caution uh, in terms of, uh, particularly around privacy, actually. So I think there's a few different uh, questions under the hood there, but I think we need organizations like the Turing Institute to really explore what those options are and enumerate where the potential benefits are and where the potential uh, challenges are, where you know, we should just see it as another technology you know, the web's useful for things, Ethernet's useful for things. Um, blockchain is going to be useful for some things and not for others. Yeah. So it's, I, I would caution against you know, seeing too much noise, uh, too much signal out of the noise at the moment. Yeah, I think, I think we're at the, we're at the uh, peak of the hype cycle blockchain, yeah. for blockchain. Peak block, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and, and I, think, I think we're shortly going to, you know, there, I think there's going to be some startups that kind of fold and, yeah. You know, we, we fall into this trough of disillusionment, and then we're going to get get back up. Yeah. I actually um, I had the unique experience of sitting down with the cabinet secretary and a dozen people from across government, from the GDS, cabinet office, uh, DWP, you know, big wide range of people back in March, and we talked about digital currencies. And, um, you know, there, there, there's a lot of interest. There's a lot of, um, you know, ideas that, that crop up about using them, you know, as public registry, you know, for the land registry, stuff like this. Um, but it's a very young technology. There, there's no doubt it's going to be it's going to be huge. It's going to it, it's going to have a you know significant long-term impact. But it's more it's it's at the same stage as the web was in 
1994. Mm. You know, it, it's going to take um, time for it to, to evolve and f for, for, for how it's going to have an impact to actually emerge. Hi, I'm Rosalind uh, from MobiCycle. Um, so with regard to the upcoming products and services, for people who have use cases today, what efforts are being made to um, create a fertile ground for them to develop those ideas? Or are there any um, plans in the pipeline? So again, just broad overview, at this point, we're trying to write a framework <coughs> which addresses a whole range of different issues. Actually, we've published the chapter headings now as where we think uh, the kind of key areas are. Uh, one of them is the user needs, which I'll, I'll pass over to in a second. But really, we're looking to what can we do next year? What programs do we need to put in place to engage directly with users? And users, in this case, mean the end customer and the fintech community and the bank and a whole range of other people um, to get everybody engaged in, in asking those questions. So what, what, are the, what are the potential? Where actually are the easy wins? Because there's some things that we know we need to be able to do, like just verify, am I sending money to the right place? You know, that, that would be an interesting maybe first project. So I think there, next year we'll be looking to how do we really explore the actual things we can build uh, and actual things we can go and sort of take to market uh, in the new year. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that's exactly right. Um, to state the obvious, really, just saying that um, the Open Banking Working Group is a mixture of um, people from different backgrounds, including financial technology firms. So um, there's, there's, a, there's a piece of engagement that's happening just very naturally. Um, and I'd imagine that as it evolves, you know, that, that um, developer dialogue will be incredibly important. It's probably too early to say too much about that now. But in order to have a successful API strategy as an institution, you would want to have an amazing developer engagement experience, and I can imagine that there, there, there will be a, a, a similar uh, mindset as we explore the possibilities that OVWG presents. Hi, yeah, I'm, I'm Andrea Cox from the uh, ODI as well, um, and I'm membership manager here. So my question is about um, which countries are doing this well already? Um, and what can we learn from them in kind of in the UK context that's relevant? I'll I'll chuck in one example of a country that I think has done um, so, so something very well in this space, and that's Germany. Uh, quite a while ago, they created a home banking computer interface standard. It's now called FinTS, um, and it basically pretty much all the banks support this this standard. It's it's effectively an old and perhaps slightly clunky, but it it, it is an open API standard, and the impact of that is that now in Germany, there's this ecosystem of fintech companies, a lot of whom got started by building an app or, or a service which connected to this, to, to this API. So for things like uh, personal financial management, you know, keeping track of your balance and so on. Um, and off the back of that, you've now got a bunch of new emerging uh, banks emerging from that ecosystem. So I think you know, th th that experience is a good example of uh, the sort of innovation and competition that the Treasury is hoping you know, this effort will engender. And as part of the work, I mean, we've been conducting kind of a landscape review type approach because obviously in the short time frame we had, absolutely one of the principles we wanted to adopt was to reuse stuff. If it, if it already existed, we weren't going to try and reinvent wheels. Think you know, albeit the stuff like you know in Germany, for example, it is is good in in many respects in what it's doing. We did find across the board there is there isn't anything quite like what we're proposing in the UK in existence at the moment. There's nothing we could simply lift and place to the UK, um, and I think that's 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 positive in the sense that it shows that we're kind of being really forward thinking in terms of what's being proposed here and and how far we want to go to encourage innovation. It's also challenging because it means we have to kind of tread untrodden ground and you know, really get into the depth of some of the issues that so far I think a lot of areas and jurisdictions just haven't really been able to, to truly nail down. Um, and, and as we said earlier, you know, especially for the legislation side, this will put the UK ahead of, of that um, and it will mean the UK will have to kind of 
you know, address some of those hurdles before other areas do, and that has pros and cons. Um, but on the whole, I think you know the UK has an ambition to be at the forefront of kind of digital innovation and be you know one of the key economies in the world, if not the best, for for doing this kind of thing. So I think on the whole, it's it's positive that we seem to be doing something that's fairly unique. Stage. Um, there are el elements, of, as we've said, where things have been done before. You know, um, account access by third parties is quite common in the US, for example, but that's often on a screen scraping model where a customer will provide their username and password to another party in order that they can access their bank account. So there are elements where it's happening, and we, we are trying to take learnings from that. Um, but there's no, there's no clear match, clear match unfortunately. <laughs> I think also a part of the design brief is what should exist. Not, this is not an incremental or what exists today that we can build a little bit on the edge of to make it better. We really started this process with what is the future of effectively digital banking? Uh, and that raise it has raised, you know, yes, there are some existing pieces uh, that we can lift from and, and wherever possible, absolutely lift, lift existing best practices, existing uh, models, existing frameworks and, and reuse. Uh, but a lot of it is also, actually, nobody's really cracked a lot of these questions. There was you know. an interesting yeah. article the other yeah. day saying that um, so the US, as Yaman says, is often hmm. held up, especially for the sort of account aggregation use case. And there was an article that said basically what the US is doing is kind of child's play compared to the pioneering spirit in the UK. So yeah. hopefully that gives you some indication. Of I, th I think that the headline was uh, the, what the UK is doing is making the US look very last century, <laughs> uh, which we, we obviously like. <laughs> Um, I guess one of the questions I had was around scope. Um, we see a lot of banks that are spending an awful lot of money around uh, things like know your customer, anti-money laundering, where actually open data could be used to much more effectively share information to you know, avoid breaches around terrorist financing and, and so on. Obviously, there's been some huge multi-billion dollar fines that have been handed out recently. Um, is that part of the scope for the working group, or is the focus more on retail banking rather than investment banking and security services and, and other areas? Our focus is very much at the moment on consumer banking and business banking, uh, but the questions that we are tackling, I think, have very broad applicability even outside the finance sector, uh, frankly. Uh, we're, we're starting to look at, or in, in, in the process, we're looking at what is personal data. And how do you share that with a third party? And what do you do with third party rights? So if you, know, if, if you give me 10 pounds and that's on my bank statement and I give that to somebody else, well, it identifies you. So there's lots of questions in there that I think have very broad applicability. But no, that's investment banking is not specifically part of our remit at all. I think it might be worth um, saying that it, even in some of the work that we're doing around you know, that sort of greater availability of transactional data, that will mean that there are going to have to be some changes in the way that you know, institutions at the moment would verify a customer's identity. You know, if you ring up and I ask you what your last two transactions are, clearly you know, we can't do that anymore. And I think the, the world of um, identification and verification is moving on a lot when you know, finger vein technology, voice biometrics, etc. So the world is naturally changing, but um, some, of the, some of those processes that historically we've relied on the greater availability of transactional data for sure will mean that there will have to be some changes there. But I think also on the plus side, you know, we recognise that certainly identity verification services will probably be a big winner in terms of the use case from this type of thing. Um, because, you know, I think there's kind of some core data sectors that exist currently where it's recognised that, you know, that, that's really quite good quality data and, and firms who are seeking to verify your identity, you know, if you want to, if you're on Argos online and you want to buy a knife and you need to prove your age, for example, if you can quickly and easily do that by simply taking a piece of data that your bank holds and is considered, you know, to be good quality data and being able to assert that, um, then that's quite straightforward. And that's, you know, that's a single customer use case. Um, but clearly there's, there's potential for that to be you know, taken out on a broader perspective. It's always more complicated at the institutional um, investment end, naturally, especially with questions around, you know, the KYC AML side because banks are under a huge amount of regulation um, and oversight, naturally, when it comes to those types of things. Um, 
but but I think throughout the whole ecosystem we will see some really interesting innovation and development around the identity and verification space. Andy Irving, I work for a bank called CRBC, we're a Canadian bank, um, more in the capital market space. Uh, you uh, mentioned just now that uh, you're not, your focus seems to be retail and corporate banking, you're not really looking at investment banking, uh, but a lot of what you're discussing seems to be quite appropriate for securities trading, the ability to establish people's ownership, registrars and those kind of things. Is that an area that you're looking at? Well, I think it's, it's probably the same answer. We're, we've, we've been given a very particular brief for this report. There's over 100 people working on this at the moment just to try and crack some of the critical issues. And there's some really difficult problems in there. I think what we're trying not to do, and one of the big challenges we've had is trying to limit scope so we could get something delivered this year. So we're trying to keep that scope at the moment. And I think we really value conversations next year about how could some of the things that we've arrived at be applicable in other areas. Um, and that, that cuts across a whole range of things, I say within the financial sector and actually outside the financial sector as well. Any additional points? I mean, I, I, most of the past 15 years I've spent working in the security space. I've been a trader um, at Morgan Stanley. And um, in my experience, if you look at retail and commercial banking versus investment banking, the, the sales and trading side, um, the zero-sum nature and competitive nature of sales and trading means that there's been more innovation and more competition in terms of technology. There already are uh, open standards like fixed net PML and all that sort of stuff. Um, and you can even see now that you know a bunch of the banks have, have got together and they're starting to explore the blockchain. You know, there's the, 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 the competition there spurs innovation. Um, and yeah, it's it's here the the, the scope of the open banking working group is is, is explicitly uh, personal customers and small businesses. And obviously that then that will have applications, you know, further up going towards corporates and so on, but uh, it, it doesn't address securities. Hello, I'm Andrew Powell. I'm the Head of Data Policy and Compliance at the Bank of England. Um, I appreciate you've kind of alluded to some of the work the group might look to um, investigate in the next sort of 12 months or so post the report. I'm just interested to understand a little bit more about what the kind of next specific deliverable output is for the group um, and sort of the direction you're going in in particular. So the, the next deliverable after the report will be the plan of what the next thing should be for next year. We really are that <laughs> early. Uh, sorry to be, I'm not trying to avoid the question, we simply don't know right now. Um, but you know, if there are particular, you know, if you've got particular ideas or particular things you think we should be thinking about, please let us know. I think that this has been a very rapid process. Uh, we feel that we've you know, been given not very much time to do quite a lot of work. Uh, so we're in the, at the moment just trying to design even what is the governance framework for the standards or standards that might emerge out of this uh, next year because at the moment we have delivery end of this year for a framework report and that's it. Right? So we need to work out you know, what, what are the next steps uh, more broadly there. We're basically bootstrapping, I think. Is yes, the, bootstrapping. You know, yeah. Literally a bunch of people getting together and going, right, how do we do this? How do we start off this process? You know, how, how, what is the roadmap? What is the route? You know, what what should we be looking at, and who should we be engaging with? What sort of conversations do we need to be having? You know, it's 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 really that sort of bootstrapping process, mm. starting with literally nothing apart from the idea that having an open API for banking would be good for the UK. Does that, does that to some extent reflect the mandate of the group in it, kind of collaborative rather than directed by admin agencies? Uh, absolutely, and I can absolutely say that we've. Um, in our own vision and value statement, which I think is public as well, um, it's, a it's a collegiate effort. We're represented, uh, everybody involved in the group are there as individuals, not as their institutions. So it, it's, it's very specifically, what is the best outcome for the sector? So there's not a direct uh, particular mandate other than, can we please have an open API spec? Hi, I'm Murad from Swade. Um, what is your thinking, or is it coming into your thinking, the use of the cloud and how that affects competition? Because obviously for Barclays or HSBC to load balance an API server is probably not a problem, but for a small building society, um, even 
you know, getting them to release an API could be a huge problem from a tech point of view. Um, it probably depends on what kind of data you're trying to release and what kind of applications. So I think there, there's this kind of sequencing of um, what are the easiest things to do. So publishing an API saying where the ATMs are, we told was relatively straightforward. Uh, publishing a, a read-only API on certain other information that is shared and requires permission uh, is easier than a write API, which would be two-way. Um, so I think there we're not trying to get into the weeds on how people deploy this, whether it's cloud infrastructure or whatever. It's really about what are the, what's the application uh, and what are the different interactions that need to exist based on the user needs. And I should say, I think for, for all of the subgroups it's been the case, but particularly those where we'll be making recommendations about kind of design, for example, um, each of those groups has absolutely got front and centre principles around, you know, minimal friction, reducing barriers to entry, trying to, to ensure that whatever recommendations we put forward meet this really tricky balance of, of it creating this environment that's ubiquitous and is, and is standardised and harmonious enough that everyone can use it in a consistent way to get value for their customers, but equally that is not going to kind of present these huge hurdles, especially to some of the, the smaller players, because I think given the nature of this work, you know, it's not all huge institutions that will be participating. In fact, in many cases, it may be, you know, a couple of people in a room they've hired in Shoreditch or something. So um, <laughs> actually, <laughs> we need to ensure that wherever possible, you know, we're, we're doing that. And it is hugely tricky because when you look at things like privacy and customer security, yeah. those aren't things that you can easily do off, you know, off a shoestring or you know, in a couple of days. So these are the kind of tricky questions where you've got to find a balance that is going to work and lead to that innovation the government wants, but equally is not going to have customers you know, screaming blue murder in <laughs> a year's mm. time that everything is terrible. <laughs> and I think building on Rhiannon's point, that, that probably is the, the trickiest thing of all. We did some research with Ipsos Mori where we sort of tested out some of the use cases that um, uh, previous reports had, had signposted. And considerable appetite for take-up. Um, then we sort of took them down a path of, well, if something you know, sort of does go wrong, what do you think about that? And you know, if there is an instance where something goes wrong, um, there's still a continual expectation, probably reflecting today's landscape, really, that the bank will kind of help and support the customer. And in a totally open universe, actually, that might not be the case. So we have some really tricky debates to work through, um, and probably probably a lot of sort of consumer education pieces to do as this rolls out. Yeah, I think, I think the, the balance between um, making it usable and making it secure is, is a really difficult one. And, and especially when, you know, the, you know, the, the end points of these APIs are going to be organizations like banks, which are highly regulated under the cosh an awful, to, to, you know, an awful lot of the time, and who are ultimately responsible. In, in many cases, if something goes wrong, you know, if, if somebody gets into your online banking account today, you don't have to worry about paying the rent the next month because the bank covers it, you know. In the future, let's say you give access to your bank account to a third party who then screw up. You know, where does the liability lie and how do you, how do you make sure that, that there's a customer consumer confidence mm -hmm. that if they engage with these APIs, that they're not going to, suddenly they're not going to find that their statement can be downloaded from Pastebin. And B, that, um, that the banks you know, and, and the account mm. providers will be comfortable enough you know, engaging with these third parties. So it, it's, it's a real balance and you know, it's, 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 it's very easy if, if you're looking at it from one perspective to think, oh, well, it's, you know, it's not a problem. You just do this and that and then, you know, well, you need to look at it from, from, from a different, you need to move around the, the object and look at it from different perspectives. Uh, thank you to the audience, thank you to the panel. Uh, very wide-ranging, I think you covered blockchain, cloud, HMRC, <laughs> uh, security services, also market services, Europe and America, who are still in the 20th century. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, so I suppose just one thing back to the panel is, it's, it, it was actually, it's really interesting for me to hear all the questions as well, uh, it's quite, it's a very good conversation. The, so just a thought back to the panel, so maybe just a closing remark on how we keep the conversation going and how we keep it going openly. So, I mean, I, th I think, you know, the w one of the recommendations, I think, that, that goes into the report will be around how to engage with the wider ecosystem, you know, not just the banks and the, 
and the established fintech companies, but also you know people who are just generally interested in this and who may be interested in in in, in using it in the future. You know, I I, I can't I can't uh, you know pre preempt the, the the actual report, mm. but you know there has been a lot of discussion about how how it needs to be open. Again, it's all about that word open mm -hmm. um, and and inclusive. Um, I guess a, a thought from me would be uh, how the UK engages at the European level um, as we move forward with our thinking and they move forward with their thinking and how those two things interact is going to be fascinating. So um, in a way, whether we like it or not, the discussion will, will ensue. Um, and uh, as I said at the beginning, you know, ensuring there's alignment and that we're sort of hopefully providing a blueprint that can be used more widely will be very important. Absolutely. I mean, I, I'd just say, you know, as we've noted, we had next to no time to, to work, to do this work. And I think despite that, we, we got a pretty good mix of stakeholders for the initial kind of batch of work. And that's been such a positive experience, yeah. um, despite the weekend and late night working. Um, but I would say that, that that will continue post Christmas. Absolutely. You know, that kind of that openness to, to a multitude of stakeholders. I don't know for sure, but I'd expect HMT will do some kind of consultation on the report in, in whatever form that may be. Um, and I'd, I'd just encourage everyone to read it <laughs> um, and to, to kind of get, get involved if it's something that they feel it will you know, be, be useful to them to be involved in. Uh, all views, absolutely <laughs> useful and welcome. And, and just on that word, open, um, we've been publishing at various points as much information as we've got certainty around. So just a couple of weeks back we published who is in uh, these different subgroups, which organizations are represented, uh, the headings of the different chapters as they are now, they'll probably change. Um, and we've set some dates out as, as to when we'll publish more information about what we're doing. Um, and we're committed to publishing anything that's actually useful. There's no <coughs> point in us publishing a half-baked chapter that's got everybody's annotations in it because that's just going to create more mess than resolution. Um, and going forward into next year, the standard itself is an open standard. So the architecture around that, we want to, we're, we're really embracing the open source way of developing uh, things and saying that we really want to develop this as an open standard, which means people will be able to make their own versions of it, fork it, etc., and contribute in an open way. Thank you very much, and that's us done. <laughs> You've been listening to a Friday lunchtime lecture brought to you by the Open Data Institute.